All right, welcome back to Bible Vibes. This is Jeremy. Tonight, we're going to start Hebrews chapter 5. We're going to talk about the perfect high priest, Jesus. I may have to break this up into a few sections when it comes to uh, talking about or explaining the position of a high priest, especially from the Old Testament when we go to Exodus chapter 28. I may not be able to do all this in one session, so part five may be broken down into numerous sections. So as usual, what I would like to do, we're going to start out and just read all of Hebrews chapter five, and then we're just going to go back and look at a few different things or highlights, if you will. So we're starting chapter one for every high priest taken from among men is appointed on behalf of people in the things pertaining to God in order to offer both gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself also is clothed in weakness. And because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins for himself as well as for the people. And no one takes the honor for himself, but receives it when he is called by God, just as Aaron also was. So the Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son, today I have fathered you. Just as he also said in another passage, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his humanity, he offered up both prayers and pleas with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his devout behavior. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him, being designated by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is difficult to explain, since you have become poor listeners. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food for everyone who partakes only of milk is acquainted with the word of righteousness, for he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. Hallelujah. So we're going to jump right into chapter five. This particular chapter and in this passage, mainly uh, verses 1 through 10, the author of Hebrews begins to explain that Jesus's role from the beginning has always been to be the high priest for the people. Just like Aaron and his sons were, Jesus was actually appointed by God. The only difference is he was appointed in order or after the order of Melchizedek. Now, Melchizedek is a interesting individual, as we will see later on uh, in this teaching. But there's a few things I want to go ahead and just talk about. We, we kind of need to be in Exodus 28, really from Exodus 28 forward. There's a lot of information that we can pull from the Old Testament concerning the position of a high priest. But the author of Hebrews says every high priest taken from among men. Now, God established both the priesthood and the office of the high priest in Exodus chapter 28 when he spoke to Moses. The writer of Hebrews pretty much summarizes the work of a high priest in a very uh, compact order, if you will. 
they offer both gifts and sacrifices. Now, the primary job of the high priest was to officiate. He was the official that could enter in either directly or indirectly through like lower ranking priests, if you will, and offer sacrifices to God. All of this goes back to what we originally started with in Hebrews chapter one about God's counsel, God's government, God's family. And I believe that uh, once we get through a good portion of teaching about Jesus being the high priest, I'm going to fall into that before we even get to chapter six, because there's so much information that needs to be relayed for us to have a natural comprehension, but also a spiritual comprehension. The phrase gifts and sacrifices for sins reminds me that not everybody is able to make this offering. This offering is specific to the one who has access to God. Now, many of the like the ritual sacrifices were just in they were their intention was just like a simple gift to God. And it really just expressed like thanks or the desire to fellowship or the desire to worship and all of these things. And if you remember in uh, Romans chapter 12, verse one, let me uh, let me flip over here real quick. Romans 12, one. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, which is acceptable to God. This is your spiritual service of worship. So technically, Jesus is the high priest, but the Bible also says that we are a royal priesthood. So we're able to take our bodies and make them a living sacrifice, something that we can just offer God and it's acceptable to him. Like we, we give our bodies, our life, our, our everything to Jesus, the high priest. And then he is able to take that and go into the holy place, the holy of holies and take our lives and our spiritual worship and present it to the father in such a way that only he can do that. That's just a beautiful, beautiful picture of of Christianity, to be real with you. I think that uh, that really in itself relays how important it is for us to go after Jesus in a brand new way. I mean, everything we say, we do, we think we just the way that we live should be an offering to God. It should be a gift of thanksgiving. My life should be a gift of thanksgiving and it should express the fact that i desire fellowship and that i worship him and him alone amen so anyways let's uh let's just keep keep rolling if you will now christ did not glorify himself he didn't ever at any point glorify himself he actually magnified the father magnify doesn't mean to actually zoom in on something like when you use a microscope magnification as far as the bible is concerned is to actually just view god as he really is and i want you to think about that for a minute how do you view god do you view god as in the way like the way c.s lewis puts it a shrewd 
business owner, but he's just always angry and he's always upset and he's always, because if that's the way that you view God, then you really have not magnified the Lord because the Bible is pretty clear that he is a good God. He's a loving God. He's just, he's merciful. He's graceful. He has compassion. He's sympathetic. He empathizes. He understands our weakness. And this is one of the big things that they drive home in the book of Hebrews, which I'd imagine is why I'm just so infatuated and just in love with this book that it really shows me who God is and shows me who God is as he actually is. Praise the Lord. So he can deal gently with the ignorant and misguided since he himself is also clothed in weakness. Now, this is verse two, and this actually speaks of Jesus's earthly ministry. He was clothed in weakness, meaning he lived as a human, the weaker vessel being you and me because and because we're we're weak. Verse three says, and because of it, he is obligated to offer sacrifices for sins for himself as well as all people. Now, this is this is talking about the earthly priest. But if you remember correctly, he who knew no sin became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. I don't know how many people. There's quite a few people that really don't understand that God, Jesus, while he was on earth. Yes, he lived a sinless life all the way up until the last moment where he actually became sin, meaning the sin of the world is what he became your sin and my sin. He took all of the sin on himself. That's why on the cross, Jesus cried, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we like to say, God will never leave you nor forsake, but he left and forsook his only son on that cross. When sin entered into him he didn't sin but what happened was the sin of humanity was put on him he became our sin jesus needed to be saved whether you want to believe it or not he had to be saved he himself was our savior but because the sin of the world was placed on him the father had to save Jesus. And you can argue, you can debate, you can do whatever you want to do. I'm not trying to hear it. Read your Bible. Read your Bible because it's in there. He who knew no sin became sin. And then at that point in time, the father had to turn his back on Jesus because God cannot look on sin. He turned his back on Jesus and Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine the pain in the father's deepest emotional spiritual physical imagine the the depth of pain that the father had when he placed the sin of humanity on his own son and turned his back on him and watched him take on the punishment that you and i deserve and no one takes the honor for himself but receives it when he is called by god just as aaron was oh So too, Christ did not glorify himself in becoming a high priest, but it was he who said to him, you are my son. Today, I have fathered you. Just as he also says in another passage, 
you were a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Christ didn't glorify himself in order to become a high priest. Jesus did not make himself the high priest. He didn't. His ministry wasn't focused on the fact that he was going to be that guy. It wasn't that he was a preacher, that he was a teacher, that he was the greatest rabbi to ever live, that he was a healer, a deliverer, that he was. It was none of those titles. The only title Jesus was ever concerned about was the title of son that he was adopted, that he was the son of God in human form, which meant that he would eventually be fathered in or adopted back into his rightful place in the heavenly family. He was also declared to be a priest forever in Psalm 110 verse 4. So it's kind of easy to see why the priesthood of Jesus was actually difficult for these Jewish people to accept because Jesus himself, if you go back and you read Matthew chapter one, he was not from the lineage of Aaron whatsoever. And so Jesus neither claimed nor practiced some sort of special ministry in the temple where he would go in and come out and, you know, take gifts and offer. He didn't do any of that. He was confronted by the religious structure that humans had developed and these titles that they have put on themselves. And he refused pretty much. He refused to join the social antics or the social clubs of that day. Jesus helped. I don't want to get on the church, but there's so many people in church right now that only go to church because of the social functions. Y'all want to have hat parties and tea parties and coffee get togethers and you want to do movie night and men's bowling and look that's good do that but that ain't got nothing to do with the church that has absolutely nothing to what is a what does a tea party have to do with the church are we now making the death burial murder and resurrection of jesus something of entertainment what's entertaining about a man dying being brutally murdered having his beard torn out slapped in his face hit with whips marred more than any man that's ever walked the like what's entertaining about that and yet here we are i'm not even going to get on it i gotta keep moving today i have begotten you today i have fathered you this is a huge statement because this actually refers to the resurrection of jesus from the dead when jesus was resurrected that is when he was fathered when he was adopted if you will just as he also says in another passage you are a priest forever according to the order of melchizedek now this mysterious person appears out of nowhere in genesis 14 verse 18 and melchizedek king of salem brought out bread and wine now he was a priest of god most high and there's another mention of him in Psalm 110 verse 4, the Lord is sworn and will not change his mind. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now there's several places in Hebrews chapter 7 where we actually see this person. But the issue is he had no beginning and he also had no end. This Melchizedek, he just shows up. Now he is described as the king of Salem and a priest. We read that in Genesis 14:8. The ideal priest king. If you look at the life of Jesus, 
he never really had a beginning. His origins were from the Holy Spirit, and he's never really had an end. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. He has always been the great high priest, always. And I'm not going to get in the book of Second Enoch. I like reading Enoch. Some people do not like reading Enoch, but there's some extra biblical books that I find very intriguing and very interesting when it comes to certain areas of study in the Bible. Now, second Enoch depicts God as instructing the angel Michael to save Melchizedek from the flood. And this is second Enoch 72 verse one, chapter nine or verse nine and verse 10. Now, there is a Melchizedek scroll and the text from the Dead Sea Scrolls kind of depicts Melchizedek as this heavenly figure who is actually higher than the angels. And like I said, I'm I'm going to give you guys some deep stuff. Um, I'm not going to start reading just straight out of Enoch, but I would suggest, if, you know, if you're really interested in going deeper in the word, sometimes it's good to read outside sources. First and second Enoch. Now, take everything with a grain of salt. We stick to what we have physically in our hands, which is the Bible. That old King James. No, not really. The foundational Bible that we have is what we stick to. But there are good resources outside of that. And second Enoch and first Enoch are some of those uh, books. And the Dead Sea Scrolls actually mention quite a few different uh portions from specifically first enoch and second enoch but i'm not i'm not going to get real deep into that so there's a number of different dead sea scroll texts that we can look at along with the writers like josephus or uh philo mentions uh melchizedek he really doesn't give much elaboration to that i mean there's a lot of stuff in the apocrypha that isn't what we consider canon but I feel is enlightening, to say the least. Um, it, it really helps you grasp certain ideas. Um, so anyways, we, let's keep moving. I don't want to get twisted on that. I know everybody's, Ooh, let's read it. No, just chill out. So verses 7 and 8 really speak to the compassion that Jesus uh, actually has for us. And the reason he has this uh, compassion is because he is designated as a high priest. So seven and eight in the days of his humanity, in his flesh, he offered up both prayers and pleas with loud cries and tears to the one able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his devout behavior. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from things which he suffered. Now, when he offered up prayers and supplications. Now, this, I feel like, pretty much speaks to the agony that he went through in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's one of the most uh, heavily depicted, image-heavy stories that we have about how Jesus actually prayed violently or vehemently screaming, loudly crying, sweating blood like... Jesus was going through it at this point in Matthew 26, 36 through 39 and Luke 22, 44. But this really just proves how much he struggled with the difficulty of obedience. You hear me? 
Obedience is not easy. Obedience is the hardest thing for any of us in our Christian walk. And for Jesus to offer up prayers and supplications and loud crying with tears and blood and sweat just proves that he himself in the flesh, the God man, he struggled with the difficult idea of being obedient, yet he obeyed perfectly, perfect obedience. Now, I want you to be rather encouraged by this. Because we grow in obedience from one level to another. Certain things that begin when we begin our Christian walk are extremely hard. And as we get further on down the road, you look back and you're like, oh, that really wasn't as bad as I thought it was. Well, as soon as you say that, then boom, here comes your next obedience trial and it will be a struggle for you. I mean, I work in a, in a ministry where we work with, uh, individuals who struggle with addiction and I can tell you it is a struggle to get clean and I can tell you that from experience because I've actually went through this program and I struggled with addiction and it is not something easy to do it's a day-to-day thing to be obedient in the fact that I'm not doing that no more I'm done the devil has nothing to offer me especially as far as addiction goes He is here for one thing and one thing only, to steal, to kill, and destroy, and I'm not interested. The world in itself was was the offer that he laid on the table, and I'll tell you, I'm not really interested in the world. It took me a very long time to get there, and I struggle. I still struggle, but the struggle isn't as bad now as it was. So Jesus struggled with the difficulty of obedience. So I feel like we really need to be encouraged, not look, don't get arrogant, but be encouraged that even though struggles come and we struggle with obedience, we can overcome because we, the, we know the one that has overcome. And so he offers up these prayers and these supplications and the word supplication actually uh, means like an olive branch wrapped in wool. Okay. Now they, the ancient worshipers would take an olive branch and they would wrap it in this wool and then they would wave it in their desperate prayers. They would like a banner almost like this is my supplication and wave this thing around. So everybody could see like, I'm really struggling with this. I'm I really here. Help me, Lord, help me. And that's what they would do. And this type of supplication, this is the one that Jesus probably took place in, in the garden of olives and he supplied the wool. He himself was the wool because he was the lamb of God. But not only that, if you read, I'm about to get real deep. Certain things in the new Testament prove who Jesus was and who he is. Certain things in the old Testament speak to Jesus in the new Testament. Okay. So when they wrapped an olive branch in wool, the wool was Jesus being the Lamb of God. Now, the olive tree, this is going to take us, we're going to have to go back to Romans, really, if you want to get into that. In Romans chapter 15, Paul gives us this, uh, this illusion or this imagery of a olive tree and how this tree grows up. And then there's these 
branches that come out. And the, and this is representative of the Jewish nation. So this root grows. Remember, Jesus is the root of Jesse. So this root grows into this natural olive branch. It goes straight up and then it forms these limbs. And this is representative of the Israelites or the nation of Israel. And then Paul says some of these branches were broken off. They were snipped away. And you Gentiles were grafted in their place. So these Gentiles, the Gentile population is now grafted into this vine, if you will. Remember John, the book of John, I believe it's chapter 15. I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. So when he says he offers up prayers and supplications, supplication is an olive branch wrapped in wool. So supplication is a waving. The worshiper would wave this thing around to express their desperate prayer and their desire to be heard by God. And so when we look at Jesus in the garden of olives, he's the one that supplied the wool. He is the vine, but he is also the wool because of the sacrifice that he was getting ready to go through. And he was heard because of his godly fear. Oh, crazy, crazy. He was, Jesus asked that the cup be taken away from him. This cup of sacrifice. Remember in Luke chapter 22, verse uh, 41 or 42, I believe. uh, Take this cup away from me. But then he says, not my will, but your will be done. And the cup wasn't taken away. But he still prayed and his prayer was still heard because his prayer was not to escape his father's will, but the prayer was actually for himself that he would be able to accept the father's will and move forward. So that prayer in itself was definitely heard. The Lord heard that and blessed it. And he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. Well, we got to look at some of the things that he suffered. He suffered so much, though Jesus was God and is God, he had to learn obedience. Some of us have to learn obedience. I'm still learning obedience. God that is enthroned in heaven's glory had to experience obedience. Jesus didn't go from a state of disobedience to obedience. Don't get me wrong. That's not what I'm saying. He was never at any point in time disobedient to his father. So he didn't go from one state of being to another. He didn't go from disobedience to obedience. He actually learned obedience by actually obeying the voice of the Lord. So he didn't learn how to obey. He learned what it takes to be involved in obedience. Jesus learned that. There's an experience in obedience. There's there's a whole level of learning, uh, wisdom, knowledge. There's all these things that come from o- obeying, and and obedience in and of itself is an is an experience that you'll never know until you do it. And part of this learning that Jesus had to go through was enduring suffering. 
he had to endure. And and that's what the author of Hebrews means, that although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. He had to learn obedience by actually obeying. And a lot of us need to do that, me included. I'm not excluded from any of this. <clears throat> There's one thing in heaven, in the tabernacle of God, where God is enthroned on his throne called grace, there is one thing that God does not know about. And that's having to experience obedience. God himself has never had to experience obedience. Because he's faithful. Well, what is he faithful to? Himself. He has faith. And if he has faith, we need faith. But who is his faith in? His faith is in himself because he is faithful. So God in heaven, the father has no idea about anything experiential about obedience. So when his son came, Jesus, although he was a son, when his son came, he had to experience obedience. So what are some of the things that he obeyed? Well, He obeyed in spectacular challenges. He had a lot of obedience just in his ordinary life. He obeyed his mom, his dad. He did all the things that they asked him. He obeyed his father. Remember, he said, I don't I don't do anything unless I see the father do it. And I don't say anything unless I hear the father say it. Everything that Jesus did, he did in the form of obedience. And so I kind of like what Charles Spurgeon has to say i'm i'm i like reformed theology and some levels and then there's other levels of it where i just kind of drift away from it because it gets kind of weird but spurgeon said that obedience is a trade to which a man must be apprenticed until he has learned it for it is not to be known in any other way even our blessed lord could not have fully learned obedience by the observation and others of such an obedience as he had personally to re- to render for there was no one from whom he could thus learn. So the obedience that he learned, he had to learn through suffering. Hallelujah. So suffering was a <clears throat> was a teaching element for Jesus. Suffering is what God used to teach Jesus. And if suffering was good enough to teach the son of God, then it must be good enough for you and I. Yeah, we've only got eight verses in. We're half an hour deep. I may just, uh, let's, let's go to verse nine. I'm going to run, I'm going to run through, uh, maybe verses nine through 11, and then we'll just clip this kind of short and I'll have to come back because like I said, this is going to be a heavy section. We haven't even talked about the priest. So having been perfected, He became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him, being designated by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, we've spoken on Melchizedek very briefly. I mean, very, very briefly. So, Jesus, having been perfected, he is the one that has became the author of, of eternal salvation. So the experience of suffering that Jesus went through 
and the obedience learned from that attached with resurrection is the only thing that made him perfectly capable and perfectly suited to be the author or uh, another word for author is uh like the source of our salvation so sometimes like sometimes when somebody dies they leave an inheritance right it it, it never gets to the intended heirs uh there's always fighting or sometimes they just get lost in translation uh people don't show up for the reading of the will and so on and so forth and so all of those things play a role in when someone dies who actually receives the inheritance and so it with jesus when he died leaving us an inheritance he lives to make sure that people receive his inheritance his purpose for living right now is to make sure that you and i receive the inheritance that god has in store for us right and there's plenty of people that don't want jesus to be the author of their salvation which is fine they want to write their own book of salvation they want to do it on the basis of i'm a good person and all good people will go to heaven and look at my good works no that's not how it works that is not how it works bro jesus is the author he's the one that wrote the book he's the one that breathed you into existence you need to accept that so that way you can receive the inheritance that has been prepared for you and for me the author and perfecter of our souls the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him ooh obedience is such a hard word the salvation is extended it's there it's available but it's only there for those who obey him and so if you go back and you you read John chapter 3 everybody knows 316 not everybody knows 336 but if you go back and you read John 336 it talks about those who obey the son so it's in this sense that all who obey him is really used to express or to describe those who believe on him so if you believe in him you must also obey him and i'm gonna stop right there because we got we're coming up on melchizedek and there's going to be a lot to be said to that so chapter five may come in about two or three pieces but i appreciate you guys tuning in tonight i'll uh hopefully i can maintain this week I'm, maybe i won't get too busy or too wrapped up in my normal life that i i can't find 30 minutes to just write down or go through a podcast with you so i really do appreciate you listening in if you would share like the program i really uh look forward to finishing up hebrews i think we're going to move into romans next uh been in romans for about three weeks now i've got plenty of new material that the lord has just given me and so i just pray that you guys stay blessed have a good week thank you and i love you we'll see you again next time